0: Welcome to the MedSoup Podcast, where we talk about trending healthcare topics. I'm your host, Laura Schumacher. Let's dig in. Today, we're talking with Dr. Ben Schmidt. He's a surgical oncologist with Paragon Surgical in Concord, North Carolina. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Dr. Schmidt, would you talk a little bit about what differentiates a surgical oncologist from a general surgeon?
1: So surgical oncology includes two additional years of training, as well as a rigorous board certification process, including a written and oral examination. Um, So I've had two additional years of experience taking care of complex surgical oncology cases at the University of North Carolina.
0: So why did you choose this specialty?
1: I enjoy being able to make the connections with patients that a diagnosis of cancer sometimes brings. It's, It's Obviously, a very emotionally charged time in someone's life to have a diagnosis of cancer. But when we're able to offer surgery, or we can bring people comfort and most of the time, very good outcomes.
0: So, you're obviously a vital member of the team dedicated to the patient's well being. So, how do you integrate your care with all the other members? So, there's the family um, of the patient, the patient, of course, um, the Uh, primary care. So how does that typically work?
1: So very often patients are being referred to me after a diagnosis of cancer is made, but frequently for the types of cancer I take care of, surgery is the first line of therapy that's necessary. So when I meet with patients, I will have already reviewed imaging and pathology reports, and generally they will come to me with family members or um, loved ones present so that we can have a sit-down conversation about what this means. Uh, the majority of cancers that I take care of still have surgery up front, but we talk about the needs for other therapies like radiation and chemotherapy. Uh, And I work very closely with uh, local radiation oncologists and medical oncologists to come up with the best plan. For patients that are fairly straightforward, I can usually offer a definitive plan at the time that I see people. For patients who have more complex cases, we have two separate tumor boards uh, at Atrium Health Cabarrus that that meet weekly. And so complex cases, uh, breast cancer cases, get discussed on Wednesdays and other uh, complex um, oncology cases get discussed on Thursdays so that we can have not only the medical oncologists and the radiation oncologists who provide the other arms of therapy available, but we also have pathologists and radiologists and a wide array of disciplines available to discuss the cases.
0: Mm -hmm. So you're... Um, one of the few surgical oncologists in this region, is that correct?
1: That is correct.
0: So you're seeing patients from all over? I mean, how how far away do your patients typically come from?
1: I'm seeing plenty of patients from the Concord-Harrisburg area all the way out to Lake Norman, Lexington, areas in Salisbury, further north.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's probably very nice that they can stay kind of closer to home to receive their care.
1: I think it's excellent that we can provide patients, you know, quality care closer to home. I know that the the networks that we're closely affiliated with um, have that as a goal as well and work very well closely with us to make sure that we can provide quality care closer to home.
0: Mm-hmm. And what are some of the types of cancer that you typically see or that you're addressing on a regular basis?
1: So I take care of melanoma, breast cancer, uh, thyroid cancer, Uh, and a wide array of intestinal types of cancer. So that includes both colon cancer and stomach cancer is the main forms of intestinal cancer I see.
0: So what types of surgical procedures do you provide? I know there's the open procedure and then there's robotic surgery that, that you can provide. Does it depend on what type of cancer or the individual case? How do you make that choice?
1: Again, it depends on the type of cancer, but I try to offer minimally invasive approaches when it is feasible and safe to do so from a cancer standpoint. The vast majority of colon cancers, for example, are now treatable with minimally invasive techniques, Um, and this enables patients to have a faster recovery and experience less discomfort at the time of their surgery.
0: And does that typically give them less time in the hospital as well if, if you're able to do robotic Correct.
1: Um, Robotic surgery tends to, um, for many colorectal cases, patients only spend about two nights in the hospital and um, very often only need a a few days of needing full-strength pain medication.
0: So in terms of the types of cancers you treat, melanoma is one of the very common cancers that you see?
1: It's one of the most common cancers I see on a regular basis.
0: So are those uh, melanoma patients referred to you by primary care and dermatology?
1: Correct. Most patients will have come to me after a dermatologist has already done a biopsy and we already have established a diagnosis of melanoma. I know there are patients who sometimes find it challenging to make an appointment with a dermatologist, and I am happy to take a look at any spots that are highly concerning to someone.
0: Okay, so that is an option for a patient if they see something that looks suspicious or a mole that's changed or something that crops up on their skin that they've never seen before, that it is okay for them to self-refer here.
1: I will see patients who are self-referrals. If they can see a dermatologist, I encourage them to do that as well, particularly for the capability to do a head-to-toe skin check. And there are also many new lesions that will turn out to not be a melanoma, and I think dermatologists have greater expertise in handling spots that turn out to not be cancer. But for patients who who don't have the ability to have an evaluation quickly, I do see some self-referred patients.
0: So with a patient who has been diagnosed with melanoma, say, for instance, they've been referred to you by a dermatologist, what is the procedure? So we
1: sit down and we review how they're feeling, if there are any signs or symptoms of any other issues with their health related to the diagnosis of melanoma. I examine that area and I do an examination of all the lymph node basins to evaluate if there's any risk that the cancer has already spread. Melanoma has a fairly predictable pattern where in most cases it will spread to the lymph nodes before it spreads to any other part of the body. Based on the risks of that person's melanoma, based on that pathology report, I will frequently perform a procedure called a sentinel lymph node biopsy at the time of their operation, where we will be doing two operations really while they're asleep. The first will be to take out the skin around where the melanoma was found to make sure that the melanoma doesn't come back. But what's most important in terms of treating a potentially deadly disease is to sample the lymph nodes that would be at risk for the cancer having spread. Because that will tell us how high risk a patient's melanoma is and will tell us if it's safe to continue with observation with no further therapy or if more tests and procedures need to be done.
0: So, is I mean, someone who has melanoma, is that something that always shows up on their skin or it may be something that's easily missed unless they're getting annual checks? For patients who
1: live in this area where sun exposure is common, I recommend having regular dermatology visits, particularly if they've ever had an issue of uh, having more than four or five blistering sunburns when they were a child um, or any history of tanning bed use. And there really isn't a, a an excellent substitute um, for having experienced eyes to a, a complete head-to-toe skin check. I would also say that in addition to dermatology exams, practicing you know, self-awareness of any new spots on the skin are helpful. I think one common bit of advice I give to patients is if anyone has a spot they're worried about and it hasn't been evaluated right away, um, In in this day and age where everyone has a cell phone camera, just taking a picture of something you're worried about and then coming back and comparing that picture to that spot six weeks later is often something very practical you can do at home.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. And then you also hear about, um, you know, if your spouse or you check your children and look on their backs and places that you can't normally see.
1: I, I do think that having a significant other is good protection against <laughs> developing a melanoma on the back.
0: <laughs> yeah. And check on a monthly basis, would you recommend? I mean, it, like the Skin Cancer Foundation, I know they have recommendations about, you know, staying on top of that because he, a lot can happen in a year, obviously. So mm-hmm. you have to be vigilant yourself, mm-hmm. but then, you know, also have a second pair of eyes if you can. I,
1: I think a second pair of eyes and trying to sit down and doing it on an on organized basis on a month was an excellent idea.
0: So I have heard of cases of melanoma where maybe it was just a small spot on the skin, but when it was surgically evaluated, it was very deep.
1: Correct. So there are at least four different types of melanoma in terms of their biology. Um, and some of them you know, spread superficially spreading across the skin, and some of them spread downwards before they spread outwards. Any spot on your skin bigger than a pencil eraser particularly anything that's growing or bleeding, is something worth calling to attention of one of your providers. And going back to some of our previous conversations, you know, I, I think it's worth noting that close to half of advanced melanomas will be discovered by a patient practicing skin awareness in addition to regular dermatology checks. And therefore, you know, raising concerns you have about your skin are is an, another important layer of safety when melanoma is concerned.
0: So that just proves the point again, how important it is for someone to be, you know, not just about, you know, oh, my stomach hurts or something going on that they've got to pay attention to these things that might be silent, eventual killers if they're not caught. I mean, in terms of statistical, um, Cure for melanoma, how would you define that? If it's caught early, is it typically uh, curable?
1: So the vast majority of melanomas that are caught in stage one or two are curable and very often curable with surgery alone. Uh, stage three and stage four melanoma are becoming more and more curable due to the results of much, many technology breakthrough, but this can require some systemic treatments that are still a lot more to go through than just surgical therapy.
0: So and and that goes back to your discussion about the sentinel lobes, correct? Correct.
1: That- so the the main test that can determine a stage one or two melanoma from a stage three melanoma is that sentinel lymph node. And that's that's why it's still very important.
0: What are the chances of someone who's been diagnosed with melanoma once having a recurrence somewhere else.
1: Again, that depends upon the stage in which they're discovered. If the sentinel node comes back positive, then depending on the situation, there then becomes a you know five to 30% chance of developing a recurrence far away from where the skin cancer initially developed. In stage one and stage two melanomas, the majority of recurrences are gonna be in the skin close to where the original melanoma developed. And so that also means that patients who we catch in early stage melanoma do not need to have a lot of time-consuming, expensive testing to look for distant recurrences as long as they're seeing a clinical provider regularly to to check that area.
0: Mm -hmm. And so in the cases of patients who've had it and also people who have not had anything diagnosed, it's important to... To protect their skin, correct? Correct. What do you, what do you recommend for that? Because you go to the drugstore and you see all these different numbers on sunscreens. What, is that, what does that all
1: mean? So at least a 30 SPF um, and remembering to reapply according to the directions on the bottle. Um, and there's also, you know... It's important to practice sun-safe habits in addition to this to you know, avoid direct sun exposure you know, between the hours of uh, 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., um, if time can be limited in the sun at that time. Um, there's a lot of new technology coming out in terms of clothing that contains SPF. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually you know, I have a five-year-old son who I go swimming with, so I now wear my long-sleeve rash guard while he wears his. Yeah. And, um, if you're in the water, you stay just as cool.
0: Oh, I think it's kind of like helmets became, you know, it's kind of cool now to wear a rash guard Mm -hmm. and they don't care about the SPF, but they feel pretty cool in it. So, um, so, you know, when we're in this area where so many people are out in the sun so much, I mean, even, you know, in November, December, does it really matter the time of year or they should be thinking about SPF all year, Correct.
1: The, correct. The risk is highest during the summer months, but that risk never goes to zero with sun exposure. Um, so, so yeah, a daily sunscreen is something that, uh, you know, there really is no downside to.
0: So that really is something that somebody can have a large impact on Mm -hmm. from the time you're, so, you know, parents with their children start very early with sun protection and get them kind of in that cycle. Correct. Because that makes a big difference later on in life. Um, what are the statistics in reference to them being having a, a, you know, severe sunburn? So the
1: risk factors are obviously on a sliding scale. Even one, but when we measure the amount of risk that someone has, every blistering sunburn increases the risk of future melanoma development.
0: It really is scary if you think about it, because you think about this generation. I mean. People that are in their 50s, when you were a kid, there so everybody was burned at the beach. Mm-hmm. So when are you seeing most of your cases of melanoma cropping up in terms of what ages? Have you seen all ages or is it more a certain age group?
1: I've seen all ages. I would say there are different peaks. The majority of patients are presenting between their 50s and their 70s with a melanoma, but I have seen as young as 20s and 30s.
0: Wow. So um, what is a a good way of understanding the different types of skin cancers? Because not all skin cancer is melanoma.
1: So that is correct. So your skin has a number of different types of cells in them. Um, So each of those cells can eventually become a cancerous type growth. Melanomas are a cancer of the cells that produce melanin or the pigment in our skin. Um, and due to the biology of, of those cells, this is why the melanomas are the most dangerous type of skin cancer, because they can spread to other parts of the body much more commonly than the other types of skin cancer.
0: And those other types of skin cancers, can they develop into melanoma if they're left untreated or are they...
1: The other types of skin cancers, which the main ones I'll talk about are basal cell and squamous cell, because those are common. Those cannot become a melanoma because they come from a different type of cell, but if left untreated, they can eventually become quite large and do have a small risk of spreading to other parts of the body. However, this is very rare with those types of cancer and generally, is, is when these tumors have gone untreated for years.
0: Mm-hmm. So bottom line is pay attention to your skin, talk to a qualified medical provider if you have a question about it and, and get it treated or removed, correct?
1: I think that's an excellent take-home message. Okay.
0: All right. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you.